Well, welcome again to Alpine Church. As Pastor Eric said, my name is John Bellis. I'm the lead pastor up at the Logan campus. And I've been excited to be here and share with you guys today for several weeks now since I found out that I was going to get the opportunity to teach down here. I don't normally get a chance to teach outside of the Logan campus, so that just kind of goes to show the reputation you guys have for your graciousness, uh, for your patience. They were like, you know, even if John bombs this, they'll probably treat him pretty nice up in Brigham City. So I'm excited to be with you guys here today. You know, I get a chance to spend some time with Pastor Eric weekly at, at various pastoral meetings that we have. Uh, and one of the reasons I've been excited to be here is because I hear so many awesome things about what's happening here in Brigham City. I know that you guys are pursuing God. I know that you're going full circle. I know that you're helping other people go full circle. And so it's really cool to get a chance to meet you and get a chance to be here with you today. The other thing that I know from spending time with Pastor Eric is that he really loves you guys. And he loves you with a fierce, protective love that every good shepherd should love his sheep with. And I just want you guys to know that. Now, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that we're going through this sermon series that we're calling EQ or Emotional Intelligence. There are a lot of different ways to think about emotional intelligence, a lot of different ways to define it. But we've tried to simplify it down to the ability to love yourself and to love others. And if you and I want to live lives that honor God, this is a pretty big deal, right? Like God is a God of relationship. We need to know that. In fact, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He responded with, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then he said, and the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So there's an implication there that we're supposed to love ourselves. We need to know how to love ourselves. I mean, Jesus obviously isn't telling us to not love our neighbor, so it's assumed that you and I would love ourselves. Now, I'm not talking about a narcissistic love that causes us to think the world centers around us. That's certainly not the kind of selfish, idolatrous life that God is calling us to live. But we are to understand that we were created in God's image. And because you were created in God's image, you have immeasurable value. And in fact, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, we just sang about it, but you are a child of God. God has adopted you as his son or as his daughter. He delights in you. You're a child of the king. And so you should take value in yourself and you should love yourself, not so much on the basis of who you are, but because of whose you are. Now, when you first heard this idea of emotional intelligence, you may have wondered, should we even be preaching on a topic like this at church? This sounds kind of pop culture-ish or, or trendy. Is this something I should be having a conversation with somewhere else? But I think that you can see it's very central to living lives that honor God. Because you and I can't live lives that honor God if we don't have healthy relationships. Now, in the first three weeks of this series, we kind of focused on the first part of that definition, loving ourselves. And today and next week, we're going to shift into how do we love others because as we learn to love others well, that's going to carry over into our relationships. And I really believe that one of the outcomes of this emotional health that we're talking about is it will lead to relational health. So today I want to identify and drill down onto three, did this get turned back off? There we go. Onto three signs of relational health. Now, when I first started teaching at Alpine, one of my mentors encouraged me, said, John, anytime you're ready to, to give a lesson, I want you to focus on what God wants to say to you, 
before you worry about what God wants to say through you. I think that's important today because this is one of those types of sermons that it's easy to listen to it with someone else in mind. You know, the kind where you're like, man, I sure wish so-and-so were here to, to listen to this. Or I sure hope that certain person is paying attention right now. You know, maybe that person is your spouse. If it is, don't turn and look at them. It'd be really awkward right now, okay? Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's that brother-in-law that you just spent Thanksgiving with. Whoever it is, I would encourage you to ask God to get that person out of your head and focus on yourself. And ask God, what is it that you want to say to me? God, what do I need to hear today? What do you need to work on? So that's the way I approached this as I was preparing for it. God, what do I need to hear from you during this message? What do I need to act on? And I can assure you that God brought plenty of things to mind. So with that perspective, let's look at this first sign of relational health. A relationally healthy person is personally authentic. They know who they are, and they don't pretend to be something that they're not. Now, this is one of those sermon slides that if we're not careful, we can make it out to say something that it doesn't really say. So just to be clear, this is not saying that we don't need to grow. This is not saying that we don't need to work on weaknesses or that we don't need to change. This is not saying that if there's an area of sin in our lives that we struggle with, that we can just say, well, that's who I am, and so you've got to live with it. (laughs) That's not what this is saying at all. But what this is saying is that a relationally healthy person knows who they are. They know their strengths, and they know their weaknesses. And they can be honest about their weaknesses. They don't have to pretend to be everything to everybody. And do you guys know how freeing that is? And when your relationships aren't all about validating you, they're going to be healthier and so much more fulfilling. Because let's be honest, it is so tiring and so burdensome to try and pretend to be something that we're not. And it usually doesn't work for very long. It's so tiring to continually compare yourself to others. I think that's one of the devil's most effective tools in bringing discouragement to believers is this idea of comparison. I mean, we've all heard it, right? We've all heard the lies that the devil tries to throw at us. You know, why can't you be more patient like he is? Or why can't you have the musical ability that she has? How come your kids don't obey as well as his kids do? or whatever it is that you can fill in the blank with that you know the devil continually throws at you. See, when the devil tells me that I'm broken and I don't measure up, I say, I know. But praise God, he sent Jesus to die for me anyway. And so that's why I can be honest in my shortcomings. That's why I can stand up here before you guys and tell you that, man, I'm impatient. I'm selfish sometimes. I have lustful thoughts sometimes. I have said things behind the wheel when I've been driving on the highway that would make you blush. And even when I didn't say them, I was sure thinking them. Now, does God want me to grow in those areas? Absolutely. Do I need to take that sin seriously? Of course I do, because God does. But I don't have to put on a face that I have it all together. I can be honest in my shortcomings. You know, God's word says that the Holy Spirit is working in me to give me the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So I'm going to grow in those areas, but I can be honest in my shortcomings. I'm not going to be perfect this side of the grave. And he didn't give me all the same giftings that he gave others, so I don't have to compare myself to them. So the reality is you can't be authentic if you don't know who you really are. Do you know who you really are? 
We just sang about it a little bit. I love Psalm 139, 14. It says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Did you know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? I really believe that some of you are here today because God wants you to know that you are wonderfully made. That he looks at you, his work, and he says, you are wonderful. You are not just some cosmic accident. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Young people, I hope you will let that truth sink deep into your heart. See, when you know that the almighty creator, the God of the universe, thinks you are wonderfully made, it's really not such a big deal anymore if the kid in chemistry class likes you or if the kids in the popular group at school think you're cool because God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I want to take a look at a verse that's going to reinforce this idea of authenticity. This comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. It says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. So I want to look at some of the words in this passage that are antonyms and synonyms to this word authentic. So first we see, don't just pretend to love others. Obviously, pretending is the opposite of being authentic, right? Then Paul says to really love them. And he says to love each other with genuine affection. Not fake affection, not counterfeit, but genuine or authentic affection. And this is why our definition of emotional intelligence, the ability to love ourselves and love others, is so central to living a life that honors God. Because when you understand who you really are, it's easier to love others. When you understand your shortcomings and the grace that God extends to you, it's easier to extend grace to those around you. You can rejoice when something good happens to them instead of being jealous. You can actually take delight in honoring them. But see, when you don't know who you really are, it's scary to honor someone else. It's scary to lift someone else up. Why? Because now you're afraid everybody's comparing you to them. But when you're comfortable in your own skin, you can actually take delight in honoring each other. Do you know how attractive that would be to people on the outside looking into your church if we really delighted in honoring one another? To see a people who genuinely love each other who genuinely take delight in honoring others, that's a church people would want to be a part of. And as you and I get better at this relational health, that's the kind of environment we're going to create here in Brigham City and in Logan and in all of our Alpine campuses. That brings us to our second sign of a relationally healthy person. And that's that a relationally healthy person has empathy for others. They've developed the discipline of seeing things from another person's point of view even when they disagree. So a relationally healthy person develops empathy for others. Now, empathy is simply the ability to understand and share the feelings of others. And for most of us, it doesn't come naturally. It isn't typically our default setting to be empathetic. Now, for some of us, it is. My wife is the most empathetic person I've ever met. She has this God-given ability to really understand and share the feelings of others. Like she takes that whole weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice verse very seriously, and she's very good at it. 
Like I've literally been in a restaurant having lunch with her and I'll leave to use the restroom. I come back and she and the woman in the booth next to us are weeping. And this woman is sharing some of her deepest, darkest secrets and deepest struggles. And I'm like, I was gone three minutes. <laughs> like, how does this happen, right? But I would guess most of us are not like that. You know, I'm not like that, unfortunately. For most of us, we have to develop the discipline of seeing things from someone else's perspective. So develop means it takes time, right? It means it takes work. It's something that's a skill that we acquire with work and practice. And then we see this word discipline. Now, for most of us, we don't like the word discipline. Discipline isn't fun, but discipline is beneficial. And the more we do it, the better we become at it the better we develop empathy for others. And I, I just want to remind you, this isn't just something that, that we dreamed up. This isn't just from our perspective. This is biblical. Okay, Hebrews 12, 14 says, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. So again, we see this idea of, of working or developing, being able to live at peace with everyone working to have empathy with those around us. Now, in some of your Bibles, if you have your Bible out, it may say pursue in this verse. Pursue peace with everyone. Uh, the original Greek word here that's translated either work or pursue is dioko. And it means to pursue with all haste. This isn't something we get to do half-heartedly. God expects us to be all in when it comes to living at peace with those around us. He really cares about this. We're supposed to work at it because it really matters. I mean, that makes sense, right? Think about it. God is a God of relationship. And so God wants us to have a healthy relationship with him. And he wants us to have a healthy relationship with everyone around us. You know, God has really challenged me over the last year to develop more empathy. I don't know about you guys, but there's been a lot of things over the last year that I just do not have the same perspective as, as some other people do. I find myself having a different perspective on things like COVID or having to wear a mask, right? I think we fill in the blank. The election, okay? So many different things that I just don't have the same perspective as a lot of people. And I feel like my perspective is the right perspective. Big surprise there, right? Usually we think our perspective is the right perspective. But what God has reminded me is that the people who have a different perspective than me, they genuinely think they have the right perspective too. And so he's been challenging me to try and understand why do they feel the way that they feel? Because even if my perspective is right, I can still learn to understand why someone else feels the way that they feel. I can still develop empathy for them. So God's caused me to really ask myself, who do I have a hard time developing empathy for? And so I'll pass that question on to you. Who do you have a hard time developing empathy for? Maybe it's someone who's on the opposite end of the political spectrum than you are. Maybe it's someone who, who struggles with a particular sin that just never has been an issue for you. Maybe it's someone who comes from a different culture than you come from. Whoever that person is, whatever that issue is, I would just encourage you to ask God to help you see them the way that he sees them and to help you develop empathy for them. I want to say two other things about this idea of empathy and living at peace with one another. First, empathy does not mean you have to agree with them. So there are a lot of issues out there that are gray issues, and there may be two valid perspectives. But there are some issues where there is a right and a wrong perspective. 
And the Bible is our final authority. And anytime the Bible speaks to an issue, that's the perspective we're called to take. That's the perspective we're commanded to take. So developing empathy for someone doesn't mean that you're always going to agree with them. In fact, I would say in our culture, you're going to disagree more often than not in a lot of areas, but you can still develop empathy for that person. And that's where God's grace is so helpful because God has been gracious to me so I can be gracious to others even if they don't have a biblical perspective. doesn't mean that I agree with them, but I can speak truth and love to them. I can gently correct them. I can do it with humility because I try to understand where they're coming from. Now, the other thing that I want to mention is that sometimes, even though you're truly working to live at peace with everyone, it's just not going to happen. We live in a fallen world, and there are going to be some people in your life that are toxic, and they don't want to live at peace with you. you know, Romans 12, 18 speaks to this. Paul says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So the implication there is it isn't always possible. There are going to be some times when you really do pursue peace with all haste. You really are all in, but there's going to be someone who just doesn't want to live at peace with you. Because we live in a fallen world and it takes cooperation from the other person. But that's why this idea of, of knowing who you really are is so important. Of knowing how God sees you is so important. Because there's likely going to come a time in your life when you've done everything you can to live at peace with someone and they just don't want to live at peace with you. And you need to be comfortable with that. You need to be okay with that. You need to know that it's okay to establish healthy boundaries. And you need to know that if the God of the universe thinks you are wonderfully made, it's okay if not everybody else really likes you. I mean, think about it. Jesus was perfect. And there were people who didn't want to live at peace with him. So there's a good chance there's going to be people in your life who don't want to live at peace with you. So when that happens, if you've done everything you can on your end, if you've truly pursued peace as far as it depends on you, then you need to rest in that. You need to rest in the fact that you were obedient and you did what you were called to do and then let God take care of the rest. So we've talked about two signs so far. A relationally healthy person is authentic. They seek to develop empathy. And then lastly, a relationally healthy person steps into healthy conflict. They bravely speak the truth in love whenever it is helpful. Now, there are a couple different points of emphasis here that I want to talk about. The first is that it's healthy conflict. There's definitely a right way and a wrong way to do conflict. Now, some of you may come from a background that you can't even imagine conflict being healthy. Like you just hear the word conflict and you already have anxiety. You already have wounds that come up. But conflict can be healthy. Conflict can help us to really get to know someone on a deeper level, to really develop empathy for them. It can open up opportunities for us to grow. There are some great resources on the Pursue God Partner page about how to do healthy conflict. So if that's, if that's something that's new to you or if that just seems far-fetched, I would encourage you to take a look at some of those. Go through some of those conversations with your spouse or with your mentor or with your small group leader. I think you'll find they're very valuable. Second, we need to speak the truth in love. So I'm sure all of us can think of a time when we spoke truth, it was truth, but we didn't do it in love. So that's one of the ways that you and I can work at living in peace with those around us, that when it is time to step into healthy conflict, and guys, there will be times that we do it in love, that we do it gently. 
The last point that I see in this is that we do it whenever it is helpful. In other words, there is a time and a place to speak truth and love. We don't just go around blabbering truth and love all the time, even if it is gently. Even if we think it's helpful, we need, we need to be uh, studious as to when we decide to speak truth and love. I remember years ago, Pastor Brian taught a sermon and he said it's about speaking the right truth at the right time in the right way. And that's stuck with me all these years. And so when I'm asking God, should I be the one to step out? Should I speak truth to this person? That's a filter I run this through. Is it the right time? Am I the right person? Is it the right way? Because I think sometimes you and I don't care if it's helpful or not. We just want to drop that truth bomb, right? You know, we see something on social media and we're like, oh, no, you don't. Not on my watch, pal. <laughs> and we go full nuclear with this zinger that may be truthful, but was it helpful? Was it done in love? Now, the Bible is very instructive on how you and I can speak truth and love. So I want to end with a couple of verses that talk about this. Galatians 6.1, great verse. It says, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Now, now the verse, this verse is specifically talking about addressing another believer. I'm not saying that we should never speak truth and love to an unbeliever. I think there are certainly times for that but it probably is not going to be as helpful nearly as often. So we're going to talk mainly about speaking truth and love to other believers. In fact, Paul asks in 1 Corinthians 5 too, he says, what business is of mine to judge those outside the church are not you to judge those inside? And you and I hear that word judge and we cringe, right? You can feel it. I just felt it in the room. You hear that word judge and everybody tightens up just a little bit, right? But if we do it the right way, and for the right reasons, it's one of the most loving things that you and I can do for someone. So Galatians tells us that we should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. It also warns us to be careful so that you and I don't fall into the same temptation. There's a lot to unpack here. I love how loaded God's word is with wisdom and how relevant it is for us today, just as the day it was written. So the first thing it talks about is the purpose of speaking truth and love. Why do we even do it? Well, it should be to help that person get back on the right path. So if you're trying to decide if you need to speak into someone's life, I think that's a great question to ask yourself. What is my motivation for doing this? Am I doing this to bring reconciliation? To bring restoration? Am I trying to help them get back onto the right path? Is that my primary motive? If not, then you're probably not the one who should speak truth in that individual's life. The second thing is how do we do it gently? I think there's more than one way to do it gently, but let me just give you maybe a couple of practical ideas on how you can speak truth gently. First, affirm something positive you see in their life about how they honor God. So let's say, for example, that, that you feel like you really need to speak into someone's life who's been gossiping. So you might start it off by saying, you know, it is so encouraging to me how you honor God by the way that you're generous or by the way that you serve at church or by the way that you parent your kids, whatever attribute you see in their life that encourages you about how they honor God. And then I would say, I, I know that you honor, want to honor God in all areas of your life. That also encourages me. And then I would say, so do you think God was honored in the way you shared that story about so-and-so? Now, there's no guarantee they're going to receive that well. They still might get defensive. 
but you've got a lot better shot than if you lead off with, you know gossip is a sin, right? <laughs> like that's probably not the way you want to jump into that conversation. Not only are we to do it gently, but we're to do it humbly. See, we should always address the plank in our eye before we help our brother or sister with the speck in their eye. And that's even if the issue that we have is totally separate from the issue they have. We need to take an honest look at ourselves. We need to be mindful of our shortcomings because typically our shortcomings are going to be a different area than what we're addressing. Most of us don't like to address someone who's in a pattern of sin that we also struggle with. We tend to have these pet peeve sins that we don't struggle with, so we're quick to point them out in others. But we need to be mindful about the plank in our eyes so that we can do it with humility. Then lastly, this verse in Galatians reminds us that we need to be careful so that you and I don't fall into the same temptation. Now, I think we probably all know someone who is very quick to point out someone else's sins. We probably also know someone who is just extremely critical. But I would say if I'm looking at it honestly, in my 35 plus years of being a follower of Jesus, I know more people who don't have the courage to step into healthy conflict when they should. I know I've been guilty of that many times in my life. In fact, for the past several years, I have two very close family members who are confessing believers and they were living in a pattern of unrepentant sin. And I didn't say anything to them. They knew the position that I took on it, but I never had a direct, loving, humble, gentle conversation with them. And I didn't do it because I knew it would be tough. <laughs> I knew it would create a rift in our relationship. I knew they would probably turn into a long, back-and-forth, emotionally-charged conversation. I was worried about upsetting them, and in the end, I just didn't feel like it was worth it. How selfish and cowardly is that? See, if I really believe God's boundaries are for our good, if I really believe that God has our best at heart, if I really believe that the laws of the Lord are perfect and revive the soul, like Psalm says then how can I not approach them on something like that? Especially if they confess to be a believer. See, when we fail to do that, what we're saying is our comfort and our convenience and our peace of mind is more important than God's best for them. That is one of the most selfish things that I can think of, and yet I've been guilty of it. So on this topic, I want to ask you guys to pray for me. <clears throat> Excuse me. As I was preparing for this sermon I recognize that I've got two other very close people in my life that I love dearly that are also living in unrepentant sin. And so I've reached out to them and I already have two meetings scheduled in the next two weeks and I would just pray that I don't chicken out, that I would be courageous, but at the same time that I'd be humble and gentle and careful. And maybe as I share this, someone's coming to your mind. Maybe God has put someone on your heart and he's like, yeah, you are the person to speak truth into that person's life. If that's the case, I know Pastor Eric would love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. I'm sure your small group leader would love to pray with you. And you don't have to share any of the details. The details are between you and that person and the Lord. But if we can pray for you and help equip you for that conversation, we'd love to do that. I just want to take a look at one more passage before we wrap up. It's Ephesians 4, verses 2 and 3. It says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. See, I don't want you to leave here with the idea that you and I are supposed to constantly be on the lookout for ways we can point out other people's faults. That, that's not what we're called to do. 
Okay, this verse tells us that we're supposed to be patient with one another. We're supposed to make allowances for one another's faults. In short, we should expect that those we're in relationship with are going to sin against us. We should expect that they're going to let us down. We should expect that they're going to disappoint us from time to time because they're broken. (laughs) They're fallen. They're sinners just like us. Proverbs 19.11 says that it is to a man's glory to overlook an offense. So our default should be to overlook an offense, especially when it's directed at us. But what I notice is I tend to want to point out sins if they affect me, but if they affect someone else, then I just usually keep quiet. Right? I think that's pretty common. We want justice when someone sins against us, but we want mercy when we sin against someone else. Notice this verse in Ephesians. It doesn't tell us to make every effort to unite ourselves. See, we don't unite ourselves. God initiated this unity, not us. All of us as believers are united in the Spirit through the precious blood of Jesus Christ when we put our faith in Him. What it tells us to do is to make every effort to keep ourselves united, to keep this unity that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. Some translations say to guard the unity. I really like the idea of the watchfulness and the diligence that that word guard creates. That we're to guard the unity that we have, guys. I'm telling you, we need to be watchful, we need to be diligent, and we need to be protective because I guarantee you the enemy wants to break the unity that you and I have in Jesus Christ. He wants to damage those relationships. He's always looking to disrupt it. As we started this sermon today, and, and maybe as we started this series, I know some of you may have been tempted to wonder, like, does God even care about this? Is this really something we should be teaching on? Can't we do something meatier? Can't we have some deep theological series? Hey, I love those kind of series, by the way. I think they're important too. But the reality is, is that type of series, that type of discussion doesn't usually challenge us as we walk into the parking lot, but this will. It doesn't challenge us Monday morning when we walk into the office, but this does. And God really cares about this. He cares about your whole person. He wants to impact every aspect of your life, including your emotions and your relationships. This is what I call real rubber meets the road stuff. This is hard. This isn't easy to do, but this is important to God. So let's keep working. Let's keep guarding that unity that you and I have in Jesus Christ. Now you may be here today and you're just checking out this whole Jesus thing. And you're like, I I don't even know what you're talking about when you say unity in Christ, or, or how can a bunch of broken people have unity So the reality is you cannot live at peace with those around you until you're first living at peace with the God who created you. And the Bible says that none of us can live at peace with God on our own because of sin, because we've all chosen to go our own way instead of God's way. But God in his grace and mercy because of his great love for us sent his son who went to the cross for us. He lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. And because of that, he paid the price that you and I should have paid And when we put our faith in him and his finished work on the cross, the Bible says that we are now at peace with God. We're no longer enemies. And because we're at peace with God, we can learn how to be at peace with those around us. If you have questions about how to start that relationship with Jesus Christ, we'll have leaders here after the service. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. I'm sure the person who invited you here today would love to have that conversation. But I invite you to do that today. And then for those of us who've already done that, my challenge to you, my challenge to me is this week, would we be diligent? Would we really work at living in peace with those around us? 
And if we have to step into healthy conflict, would we have the courage to do that? Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful that the reason I can work at living at peace with those around me is because I am at peace with you. And God, I'm not at peace with you because anything that I did, I'm not at peace with you because I'm good enough or because I tried hard enough. I'm at peace with you because Jesus Christ went to the cross and paid for my sins with his blood. Thank you so much for that, Lord God. And God, I do just pray for for me and, and these conversations I have coming up over the next two weeks, God, that you would give me wisdom and courage if I, as I have those. For anyone else in the room today, God, that has some of those conversations on their heart, would you do the same? Would you give them wisdom? Would you give them courage? We thank you, God, that in all these things we've been talking about, that we don't have to do them on our own power, but that as believers in Jesus, your Holy Spirit indwells in us, and and your word says that you give us the desire and the power to do what pleases you. And God, that's what we want to do. God, we want to please you in the way that we live. We want to please you in the relationships that we have. We love you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.